0: Welcome to church today. My name is Natalie, and if I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, hello. I would love to meet you after service, and um, it's just honestly, I, I get to pastor here with my husband. He's not here this week. He's actually preaching at um, in our old hometown, and so I get, I get to speak with you guys today. It's always one of my favorite things to do. It's the honor of my life just to get to have planted this church and to live life with all of you guys. This has been the most fun thing I've ever gotten to do in my life, and I, I just absolutely love it. So, just thanks for being a part of this church. Thank you for being here today. I love you guys, and um, I get to I get the honor this week of kicking off our new series, which I'm so excited about. Um, it's called Breaking Bread, and not Breaking Bad, Breaking Bread. Okay, um, but it's I'm really excited about it. Our Elder Raphael Monroy actually wrote this series a long time ago. He God, like, really spoke to him. He was like, I got to write this down. And he started, he basically wrote, wrote out an entire series. And he just is letting us kind of, like, take his notes and, like, change it, you know, not change it, but add our own little flavor and verses and things that we want to put into it. But so thank you, Raphael, for doing this. We're excited about it. It's going to be super good. And. Um, and so, when I say breaking bread, you guys can just shout it out to me. What's the first thing you guys think of when you hear the word breaking bread? Jesus, that's a good one. That's the good church answer, right? Um, communion. Yes, I'm glad you guys said that. I'm like, I hope they hope some of them say this. Communion. Yes, and when honestly, in recent church history, communion has kind of been boiled down to, you know, we all get our little cup and our wafer and it's got the, like a crinkly top that we like pull off and we're like trying not to distract our neighbors and we're like trying to be like, you know, reverent and like trying to worship Jesus at the same time. Um, and it's something that we just traditionally more, more um, recently in church history, we do it in a church service. But actually, um, the original intent of breaking bread was not really necessarily to do it in a church service. It was supposed to be a communal thing that we do together. And it was really supposed to be something that we shared around a meal to have conversation. And so I'm really excited um, just to talk about that today. And we're going to talk about um, what it really means to break bread with each other and what it looks like to be a disciple, because this whole thing started with Jesus and his disciples breaking bread together. And so we're going to talk about what a, the lifestyle of a community of disciples looks like when we break bread together. And so if you guys want to open up your Bibles, if you have them, uh, we also have Bibles in the seat back, So if you didn't bring one, you can grab one of those. It's at the very, it's like one of the first few chapters if you haven't been in, in the Bible yet. Um, otherwise, we're also going to have it on the screen. So if you don't have a Bible or you don't know how to find that, we'll have it up on the screen. So don't worry. We'll make sure that you can follow along with you as well. So we're going to actually read from Luke 24, 13 to 35. So if you want to, to go ahead and turn there, I'll give you a second for those of you who like to use your physical Bibles. Um, so I'm just going to give you a, just a quick brief, very, very brief overview of what where we're starting at. So um, this begins on the day of Jesus' resurrection. This is the, the very morning of it. And... Um, we know what some women were doing at that time. We know what a few people who had followed along were doing. Um, some, some wealthy people who donated um, a grave to Jesus. We know that there were women who were there following along and who wanted to embalm the body. But we don't really know what the disciples were doing at this time. We only know a few of the, the female disciples, what they were doing. We don't know where the men were. And so we kind of hop in. They kind of disappeared for a few days. And then we hop in to where we're at in Luke 24, 13. Um, and this is after Jesus had already resurrected. So I'm just going to take a drink just real quick. Okay. So Luke 24, 13, this is what it says. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened and as they talked, they discussed these things. Or, and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. And he asked them, What are you guys discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, You must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there the last few days. And I can kind of imagine, they're kind of like looking at him like, seriously? First of all, who are you? And wh- how did you just like appear? And why are you being so intrusive in my conversation? I don't know you, <laughs> right? So he just appears, and they're like, uh, you must be the only person who hasn't heard about this. So I know that's, I digress. But anyways, what things, Jesus asks. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said, he was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped that he was the Messiah who would come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of his followers, were at his tomb early this morning and they came back with an amazing report and they said that his body was missing. And they said that they had seen angels who told them that Jesus is alive. Some of our men even ran out to see, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. And so we're gonna just kind of stop there for a minute and just kind of dig into what's happening a little bit right here. The first thing that, that sticks out to me in this moment is the disappointment and the doubt of the disciples in this moment. So even though the women had come back and told them that Jesus was alive, and then Peter, it doesn't say here it was Peter, but you can find in John later that it was Peter who went in and confirmed it, Um, even though he confirmed it, they were still in shock at this moment. They'd lost someone they loved, and they were just really disappointed because, like, as they said, Jesus didn't save Israel the way they thought that he would right? Um, so for any of you who have experienced tragedy or traumatic loss, um, you know the deep pain and the disappointment that comes with that. And you know that sometimes our heads can start creating narratives that aren't true. When we're in our, when we're in our feelings, when we're sad, um, sometimes we begin to take the moment um, what happened in the moment, and we can twist it to mean something that it doesn't actually mean in our life, right? And so if, you, if you've ever lost someone, I think some of the questions we will even ask ourselves will be like, was it my fault? Was there something that I could have done differently? You know, was, there, was this all just for nothing? Why did this happen to me? Why did this happen to them? And so I love that Jesus pops in in this moment when they're, it's clear that their head's going somewhere, right? Um, and, but in, at the right moment, if a good friend is there to speak truth to you, they can help keep you from repeating unhealthy scripts in your mind. And that's why it's so important that when we're going through hard times, that we don't take ourselves out of community. And I think sometimes those are the moments we want to take ourselves out the most because we're embarrassed, the things we're thinking we don't want to see people we don't want people to see us cry we don't want them to see us going through things but that's the moment that you need people the most and Jesus shows up right there because he wants to be the good friend who is like I need to see where your thoughts are I need to see where your thoughts are right so a good friend is going to check on your thoughts after a heartbreak to see where they're going to see if they can speak truth back to you. And one of the most damaging things that we can do is to go tra- through tragedy alone. So, like I said, they were already beginning to form scripts, and we can see it in that passage because it says, we had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. They, even, they didn't call him the Messiah. They said, we had hoped he was. But at the very beginning, it says, he was a prophet and a teacher. So you can already see that they were beginning to discount all the things that they'd been through with him. They were beginning already to forget the miracles that they had seen him do. They were beginning to forget all the goodness that happened in that time. And they were already beginning to believe that he was just a teacher and a prophet and that he wasn't the Messiah. Even though there were people speaking the truth to them about it before, they were getting lost in their mind. They were getting lost in those scripts that they began to tell themselves. So I think it happens to us too because when we're going through hard times, if we're not careful, we can forget, we can tend to question God's goodness and his presence when we go through hard times, especially if that disappointment comes from God not doing things the way we expected him to do them, right? Has anyone ever had that happen? I've had that happen. I can't even tell you how many times that's happened to me. When I have that expectation of doing, God doing things the exact way that I want him to do, them, and then it doesn't happen that way, right? It's so easy to begin to lose sight of God's presence and his goodness and what he's done for us in the past. Or, or even when things get so low that it feels like it's impossible for him to keep his promises. Have you ever been in that place where you're like, I don't know how God's going to get me out of this. I don't know how it could possibly change my situation. But I just want to say today that impossible is where God begins. He doesn't do things according to our personal preference. He does things in the way that will bring him the most glory. If he did things the way that we did things that were logical and made sense, he would just be a normal guy, right? But he's God. And he's like, I'm going to show off, okay? I'm God. I'm going to do things so that people know that I'm real. They cannot question whether I'm real because I'm going to do things that are impossible. So oftentimes this means that he's going to do things in ways that boggle our human understanding. And often this means that we're going to have to trust that he is who he says he is and that he's going to do what he said that he'll do even when it seems impossible. But the thing that I love about Jesus is that even though he knew what what happened, he knew where they were, he knew they were disappointed. He knew they were experiencing doubt, but he was there with them anyways. And he chose to stay with them and walk with them and talk with them. And even when our minds today are clouded with doubt and disappointment, Jesus is still there with you. You may not recognize him. You may not see him. It might seem like he's gone, but he's there. And so I think our challenge is, is twofold in this, from this little passage one is when you're going through it, even when you don't want to, make an intentional effort to continue meeting with your Christ centered community. Don't let yourself slip away. You need people. And the second thing is do all that you can, even when it seems impossible to hold on to hope that God is good and faithful. You got to do all that you can. So that's our challenge. But that's not the only thing I drew from that that section. I think there's so much to unpack here. The second thing that I really noticed is that he's such a patient listener. And I love that Jesus wanted to listen to this story from their perspective. Like, he he has his own perspective. Obviously, he sees things from the beginning to the end. He knew what happened. He was literally the subject of the story. But he's interested to see what their perspective is, even asking them questions, which I think is so cool. one One of the questions was, what are you discussing together as you, walk, as you walk along? He knows, obviously. And another one is, what things, are you, what things happened? And I think he wanted to ask this because he wanted to know how they saw it, obviously, right? Why did he approach it this way, though? I think a couple of things. One, I think he was showing them how to walk with people in their darkest moments. I think he was showing them, and I think he's still showing us today how to walk people, walk with people in their darkest moments. He wanted them to see that he does care about their pain and that they can be open and honest about what they're truly feeling. And I think it, he, he wants us to know that today, too, that he's still listening to our pain. He wants to know. He's not afraid of that. He's not afraid of your questioning. He wants to hear it. And I think that he was teaching them an incredibly, oh, actually, I'm going to back up for a second. The thing that I love about this moment is that Jesus was so interested in how they saw it. He's arguably the most interesting man in the world. Literally, he did all these crazy, incredible miracles. He's raised from the dead. He's probably the most interesting man of that time. And yet, here he is resisting the urge to be interesting in that moment. He could have if he wanted to he could have done another miracle to show them and prove to them in this moment who he was and all the awesome things he could do but instead he chose to be interested instead of being interesting and I think that's such an important point for us as believers to remember to be interested in people before we're interesting because they need us in that way right and so Jesus was teaching them this incredibly important lesson in friendship and in leadership too, and that it's most important to seek, to listen and seek understanding first, and then when it's your turn to speak, then you will be heard. And we're, we're going to see that in a little bit, but um, first I want to just tell you a little story about how this actually happened to me this week. I have dry mouth today. I don't know what's up with that, but... So this week, this passage actually was super timely for me because I was preparing this message and I was like, I don't even know how this could be even more like relatable to me this week. So um, while we were on sabbatical, we had an email come in to our account and um, often we'll get people asking us questions like, what's your church about? What's your stance on X, Y, and Z? And um, one of those came in while we were gone and um, honestly, I I was really tempted in the moment to just write back and be like, well, here is what we think about X, Y, and Z, and blah, blah, blah. But we have this, that's my, like, always my initial, like, response. But then I forgot. I'm like, oh, wait, we have this policy at Voice here, and in our leadership, you might not know this. We have this policy that we're going to sit down and talk with people and not reply over an email because – text is so hard to read tone it's so hard to read attitude it's hard to read heart it's hard to it's just hard to interpret and so i was like if we're going to talk about something so important you this is clearly an important matter to you you want to know this then let's sit down and talk about it so that's what we did i i invited this person out to have coffee and they totally were like yeah let's do this which is actually was kind of surprising because I don't know about you, but I get kind of overwhelmed just like going and sitting down with some random person that I've never met before. Um, But they were like, yeah, let's do it. And so I was like, okay, cool. So as I was just praying um, before we met, I was just like, you know what, Lord, Um, would you just give me wisdom on how you want me to speak to these questions? And so I was just praying and I felt like God was giving me some answers. It was good and I was writing them down. But over and over and over again, the one thing I felt like he kept saying to me was, listen, just listen. And so we got closer and closer to the day and it was the morning of, and I was, again, I was praying for my meeting and just saying, okay, Lord, is there anything you want me to say to this person? Um, Are there any words of encouragement you want me to give to them today? Um, And I pray that usually every time I go into a meeting and I ask God to give me, if there's any kind of encouraging word that he wants me to give them. And again, he came back and he just said, just listen, ask questions and listen. And so that's what I did. We went and we had the meeting and um, I met them and actually just started off by just asking them, I, I want to hear about your story. Will you tell me your story? Tell me about your history with, with God, with church. Tell me why these questions are so important to you. It's, it seems really apparent to me that this matters a lot to you. And so as they were telling me their story and everything about them, I just began to get this compassion for them. And I just was feeling like, wow, I'm so glad that I listened to their story. I'm so glad I know why this was important to them. Because it helps me to answer with so much more grace, with kindness, and with love, and to go, I see why this matters to you. And I want to make sure that you know that I care about that, right? And I think that's, the conversation ended just really great, um, it was really lovely conversation. I don't know about you guys, but I'm an Enneagram Nine, and so anytime someone wants to ask me like anything that could potentially be like a hot button issue or something that could end in like a argument, I mean, it's hard enough to ha- to talk about hot button issues with like people you know and love, right? But let alone a total stranger, it <laughs> could go totally like the opposite way, and it just ended so great, honestly. Um, I, I usually have, I hate those conversations, and I avoid them, but it ended so great, and I was like, thanks, Lord. Thank you for letting me have this conversation. I learned a lot, and it was just so beautiful, and the door was open, I think, for further conversation. I'm so glad that I met that person, and um, just ended so lovely, and just it was like, hey, call me if you need anything, and it was just so great. I'm so happy it happened, but I think it just kind of reminds me of this old adage, and I don't even remember where I heard it. I don't I don't even know who told it to me, so I'm sorry if I'm, like, misappropriating this quote. I'm sure someone really wise and famous said it. I just don't know who it is. But it's that if you want to chime in, you have to put the time in. And it's, I think it's really important for us to remember that as we're in our relationships, that if you want to chime in, if you feel like there's something really important you need to say, first you need to put the time in. And so I think that's really an important lesson for us as believers and I think the challenge for us here is to be the kind of person who wants to listen to people's stories, ask intentional questions, and be the last one to talk because how can anyone trust us if they don't know that we genuinely care about us or care about them right and how can we answer them lovingly and correctly and carefully knowing their hurts and their Desires and their story and their concerns and how, how what we say might affect them if we don't know anything about them, if we don't know why things are so important to them. So I love that that Jesus was just he was a master at asking questions and listening. And when it came time for him to speak, it was truly life-changing, because they knew that he cared, right? They knew that he was listening and he cared about their perspective. And so we come to the next part, and we're going to talk about what Jesus said then after that, because I believe that this is one of the most important parts of the moment, and it's the whole part of why we're talking about um, breaking bread together. So then Jesus says to them in 26, wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures things concerning himself. By this time, they were nearing Emmaus at the end of their journey. Okay, I'm just going to pause there for a second. Um, if you guys remember at the beginning, it said they were seven miles, okay? They were seven miles away from Jerusalem. So they had, they had separated themselves away from the rest of the disciples, and they were walking seven miles. They talked for that long. Can you imagine? That wasn't just like, oh, let me just talk real quick about this, say this quick thing. Like right here, it's two sentences, but can you imagine? That was a really long conversation. So then it says, Jesus then, oh, by the time they were nearing Emmaus, then they were at the end of their journey, Jesus acted as if he was going on. But they begged him, stay the night with us since it's getting late. And so he went home with them. And as they sat down to eat, he took the bread and he blessed it and then he broke it and then he gave it to them. And suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him And at that moment, then he disappeared. I don't know why he disappeared, but (laughs) they finally realized at the moment that they broke bread who they were talking to. And Jesus often does this. He reveals himself when we break bread together. And without just sounding melodramatic, I really can say with confidence that sharing a meal around our faith is one of the most important things that we can do for our faith. So in the you know, in Jewish tradition, they do something called Shabbat. And that's basically that every Friday evening is reserved for dinner with friends and family to talk about God and to prepare for the Sabbath day of rest. And so the early church, after, um, once they became Christians, once they became followers of Jesus, they followed this tradition. And it became a really important part of their faith, something that they didn't get rid of, right? And actually, the, the last time that they had seen Jesus, was when they were breaking bread together. The last time they saw him, they were breaking bread, and the next time they saw him, they were breaking bread. An important, I think, parallel, right? The last time and the first time, the moment he spoke to them about what was gonna happen, and then the moment that he revealed that he was true, that he was right, that he wasn't lying, that he is who he says he is, he's gonna do what he says he's gonna do, and that he begins with impossible, right? That's when he shows up, that's when they're breaking bread. And Jesus, I love, I don't know why he chose this, I guess. I mean, there's some really good reasons, I'm sure, and we'll talk about it, but he loved doing ministry around meals. And we're going to talk about a bunch of those this, this series, but he loved doing miracles like with fishes and loaves and the water into wine, revealing that he's supernatural. He, his last supper, it's where he had his last earthly instructions to his disciples. And then again, right here, when the disciples invite him for a meal, and he finally reveals himself. So why does he choose to reveal himself in a meal? Well, I think there's like some spiritual and some practical reasons. So hold on. I told you my mouth is really dry today. I don't know. Maybe I need to go break bread. this way. Um, the first one is because I think it's more just physiological than anything. And I think it's a light switch. Sometimes for things, in order for things to register in our heads, we just need food in our bodies. Amen. That's why there's some amazing people who, at their own expense, by the way, go and buy donuts for you guys every Sunday because they want you guys to absorb the message. (laughs) They know their important role in this service is to make sure that your light bulbs are on so you can absorb the message. Because sometimes we just need a little bit of food in our body to be able to hear it. You know, that's why schools are starting to serve free meals to students because they know that if the students don't have food in their bellies, they can't focus. So they provide meals, right? Right. Their basic needs being met. And the disciples, their light bulbs came on when they had the food. In verse 32, it said, Were our hearts not burning within us while we talked, while he talked with us on the road and opened scriptures to us? And I love that they're like, We knew something was happening. There was like something in our hearts. But it wasn't until they bit into the food that they're like, Oh, it was Jesus. (laughs) They were hungry, right? They were hungry and they were tired and they just needed something to wake them up. And I love this because serving a meal is just a practical action to show that we care. It's this deeply spiritual act that really just builds trust. And it just, I love really honestly that it provides space for conversation. And it just allows us honestly to serve each other in this really amazing practical way. And um, I once had a friend, I used to work at, I used to work at this church that we had this discipleship program for um, young adults. And it was like, I loved doing it. It was one of my favorite things. And one time I was bringing in a guest speaker. Um, He was a friend who had been working for an ambassador for the UN. And I brought him in because we had been talking about missions and serving our world. And so I brought him in and I wanted the students to be able to ask him questions because he was on the ground doing real work Serving real people in an impoverished nation. And he wasn't necessarily doing missions work, but he, as a believer, was doing missions work, if you know what I'm saying. And so our students raised their hand and they asked, they wanted to know: so, what is more important when you're serving people? Is it to provide them a meal or take take care of their physical needs, or is it to share the gospel with them? And I remember this moment being so poignant to me because, and it still sticks with me to this day because I was like, light bulb on, moment. And he said, he just looked at me and he's like, without skipping a beat, it's both. Because how can you truly share the gospel if you don't care about someone's tangible needs? And I, I remember thinking about that for so long. And I was like, oh my gosh, yeah. If we don't care about people's actual physical needs, How will they know that we actually love them? Because this is more than just about words, right? Sharing the gospel isn't just about our words. It's about our lifestyle. It's about who we are. And are we really truly caring for people in a meaningful and a tangible way, right? So I have a challenge for us today. And the challenge is to host or attend a meal. someone in this church maybe someone you have maybe someone you with you have someone who you haven't yet or to serve a hungry person a meal and discuss the love of god together not just having a meal for a meal's sake but a meal with the express intention of showing love for people and talking about your love for god see three times in john 21 jesus told told peter that if he truly loved him he would what Do you guys know what this is? If you truly love me, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. And I think, I don't have proof, but I think that he meant it both physically and spiritually. Feed my sheep. Have a meal together. Talk about the love of God and prove it. Prove that you really love them. Prove it that you love me, right? Prove it. So what if we began hosting Shabbat dinners at our home once a week or every other week where we take time to do that? A lot of us do this in small groups, and maybe this is your moment if you haven't joined a small group. This is your moment to be enjoying a small group, to jump in, to get connected with people and share a meal. But a lot of our small groups don't meet every week. So maybe today is the day that you ask someone sitting next to you or someone that you've been wanting to get to know in this room out to lunch. And after service, you go talk about God. You talk about what he's been doing in your life. You talk about the message today or whatever you need to talk about, right? So why is this so important? Is this really necessary for us? Why is having a meal together so important? Does it really matter? Yes, it does. It does. And here's why. In in the very last meal that Jesus had, he said, in Luke 22, 17 to 20, he said, he took a, a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. And then he said, take this and share it among yourselves for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and he gave thanks for it and then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This wasn't a statement meant just for that moment because he wasn't gone yet. How could they do something in remembrance of him when he's still there? It was a command for the future. Do this in remembrance of me. That's what he's called us to do together, to break bread together and remember him. So I think it's really important for us to get together with people and take the time to remember who Jesus has been to us so that we don't forget it. I think something really kind of almost miraculous happens when, when we begin talking about what God has been doing in our lives, because sometimes, I don't know about you, but when I'm talking to someone about what God's done in my life, or when they ask me about it, it gives me a second to just, to like voice the things that have been swirling around in my head. And as it comes out of my mouth, it's like it almost confirms it for me. I'm like, I needed to share this, I needed to say this, I needed someone else to know, because now I know it's true and I really believe it. And not only that, but then in that moment, the other person is so encouraged and it might be the exact thing that they needed to hear. I recently had to do this for a a class um, that I'm taking right now and part of our story was, part of our job was to just share our story with another classmate and I'm like, I don't even know this person, this is crazy and I'm telling her like literally these intimate details of my life and as I was telling my story, in the moment I started I started weeping Because I was like, I didn't even realize all the things God was doing. You know, I'm like, it's this beautiful moment I'm having, but I'm also kind of embarrassed because I'm crying with this person I don't even know. And then she starts weeping. Like weeping. (laughs) And I'm like, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to make you cry. And she's like, you don't know how much I needed to hear that. What you just told me is exactly what I was going through. And I felt like it was impossible and I was never going to get through it. So you don't know when you share your story how much it's going to mean to somebody else and how healing it is for you too. Acts 2.42 says, all the believers, this is after, after Jesus left and the Holy Spirit came. It says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayers. A deep sense of awe came over all of them and the apostles performed many miracles and signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. And they worshiped together at the temple every day met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Amen, that's so awesome. When we share our faith with each other, we build each other up, but not only that, other people get saved. Have, have lunch with somebody who is not saved, who doesn't know Jesus, and share your story and the goodness of God. That's just as important. That's how people were coming to know Jesus was because their needs were being met and they were being encouraged. And it's so important for us to do because we were created for communion beyond the cup and the wafer. We're commun- we were created for communion beyond the cup and the wafer. It's hard to be really surface-y when you're sitting down at a meal together, right? But you can sit here in, their, in your row, not say a single word to someone when you're taking communion. You just You just take your little crinkle cup and you just, you're trying to be quiet, really, <laughs> right? But when you're in a meal, you can't do that. You have to talk to each other, you have to be real, don't you? Because you're just there for an hour, eating your food, staring at each other and you got to say something. You got to do it. But if I can be real today, I think that's exactly why some of us have not done this. Because some of us, I think, want things to say at the surface. I think that we're afraid what might happen if people knew the real you. I think you're afraid you'll be too much for people, some of you. I think some of you are afraid that people are going to judge you. I think some people like to say the excuse that they don't like people. I don't like peopling. I don't want to people today. Can I say something? If you're a Christian, you don't have the option. Sorry. Sorry to bust it. You don't have the option. Every person you encounter is a child of God in need of love. And so you've got to find a way to connect. You don't have to like them. And be their best friend, but you do have to love them, right? I think some of us have used the, the excuse that we're introverted, right? But even introverts need people, and maybe in shorter and smaller doses, right? But you still need people, and I think actually this is the thing that I love about introverts: is that the, the thing that makes you introverted is that you don't like you don't like shallow conversation, right? You want. Deep conversation or things that matter, you don't have time for trivial bananas, right? Like the rest of us extroverts who are like, we'll take it all. We'll just go anywhere with anyone. As long as a person is there, I'm there, right? But then the extroverts, we have a hard time being deep and real because we just want to have fun. But introverts, even more reason for you to share a meal with someone, right? I'm not asking you to host or feed the 5,000, Just share a meal with someone. I think another reason some of us don't do this is because we've been hurt before. And we wanna use that as an excuse to say, I don't know, I don't know about church people. They've hurt me. And I'm afraid to step back into relationship because I'm afraid to get hurt again. And you might be thinking to yourself, Natalie, you don't know my story. You don't know what's happened to me. And you're right, I don't. But I can tell you only from my experience that if you want to know someone who's been hurt by church people, it's right here. I've spent years in therapy undoing some things that church people did to me. And I'm the one who I'm preached to myself today because there's so many times that I want to keep things at the surface. Because I know that if I invite people in, I might get hurt again. But the truth is, we need each other. I need you. I need people. And some of the most important relationships and friendships that have changed my life have been with people who love Jesus. Linda was just sitting right there. And I may cry, I love her, but um, none of you know her. <laughs> but her name is Linda, and she actually flew all the way out here. She's from my old town, and she has been by me through thick and thin, some of the most painful moments of my life, and she's never left. And she's the perfect example of what a Kali friendship should be and what we're called to be. Just people who stick by each other thick and thin, loving each other deeply, sharing meals, listening, caring, asking questions. We need it. The thing I hate about the enemy is that he's not new. He's been feeding these same lies to people for all of eternity because he knows that if he can isolate you, he can keep you in a cage forever. But if you get in the presence of other believers who are going to speak truth to you, who are going to come against those lies that you've been speaking to yourself, and that the enemy's been speaking to you, you're going to be set free. You're going to live a full life. You're going to experience the fullness of relationship and the power of God and he's going to do impossible things in your life and you're going to have faith for it and you're going to believe it because you had a meal with someone who gave you the encouragement to do it. It's so important to break a bread with each other. Hebrews ten twenty five says, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of the Lord is drawing near. So I hate crying in front of you guys and I do it every time. But it's because I believe it. As we head into response time, I want you guys to just ask the Lord, what what is it that you need to do? What's your next step? And some of you are amazing at this. And, and maybe that's not your thing that you need to worry about. Maybe it's you're just thinking about how you can keep loving people, right? But some of us, as you head into response time, maybe your thing you need to pray about is, who am I going to ask to lunch today? Who am I going to ask to lunch today? thing you need to do is where's the small group sign up I'm going to sign up for a small group so whether it's you who needs community or someone else in your life to honor that practice of breaking bread as essential so I'm just going to say a quick prayer and then we're going to go into worship God I thank you that you have loved us so deeply you've shown us what it means to be a true friend. You have shown us so much grace and mercy, and we love you. And in this moment, we just want to say yes to whatever it is that you have for us. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Some notes that I took, I just want to remind us before we finish today. Jesus chose to be interested Mm -hmm. before being interesting. If you want to chime in, first you have to put the time in. True because it rhymes. So good. Communion isn't just sketchy juice and a weird wafer. Did you say that? I wrote that down. I said that. Communion is a meal centered around the love and the life of Jesus. And then Hebrews ten don't neglect meeting together. As we close up today, we're, we're closing with the challenge to not neglect meeting together. So as we close, we always say, if you'd like to give and be a part of the the ministry, you know, not just give to the church, through the church, you can do that in person. We have generosity boxes. Uh, Physically, you can give that way or online. That's the way that my family does. It's just convenient. It's not gonna be a high pressure sale type of moment. Just give as you feel led. Also, reminder of the, of the connection card. If you'd like to connect and ask questions or, or you know, for us to get a hold of you, we would love to do that, but we'll do it by invitation only. We will never chase you down. But please, reminder, do that. Bring it to the Next Step booths, uh, booth and, and we'll, we have a small gift for you, teachers. Don't forget, Next Step booth. But as we close today... As we usually do There's going to be some space uh, The worship team is going to play a song or two If you like, to, just need some space to sit Worship a little more, please do If you need some prayer uh, Our pastors and elders will be over here We'd love to pray with you But most importantly today We would like you to use this space To make reservations To make appointments To ask somebody to lunch Plan a dinner, plan a coffee This series Breaking bread is not like additional to our faith and it's not optional to our faith. This is straight from Christ himself. So let's do it. Let's do it. Let's pray and then we'll close. Lord, we thank you that you can give us the strength, the trust to kind of break out of our culture's norms of just being alone. And God, let's would you help us form something that is unique to your people, which is real community based on the love and the life of Jesus? So as we close today our service and the church goes from gathered to scattered, I pray, God, that we would just take the doors, go through the doors that open, take the opportunities that come, put ourselves out there. If we're called to give today, let's give. If we're called to ask that person their name again, God, I pray that we would do that. God, would you make appointments for us? Help us to have those divine appointments. If we need prayer today, God, help us to act on that. Lord, you love us and you want us to share that love with others and for others to share that love with us. So, God, as we celebrate this fantastic message, this great direction uh, for a series, Lord, I pray that this would be a blessing in our lives practically this week and for the next several weeks to come. In Jesus' name and everybody at Voice said together, Amen.